Mark Reed Edwards, VP of Digital Marketing at HFS. Welcome to this HFS video cast of a special fireside chat between HFS CEO Phil First and Vipul Khanna, Managing Director and CEO of First Source Solutions. Vipul joined First Source in 2019 from Cognizant Digital Operations, where he led a startup practice into a $2 billion top five global BPO business. Of course, leading the discussion, as always, is Phil First, HFS CEO and Chief Analyst. Phil founded HFS in 2010, and recently the Analyst Value Survey of 1,000 Users of Analyst Research ranked HFS as the second most influential analyst firm, including second most influence on enterprise customers, second most subscribed analyst firm, and second mentions by enterprise customers. So let me hand it over to Phil to get the discussion with Vipul going. Phil, take it away. Thanks, Mark, and great to see you again, Vipul. Um, and welcome, everybody, for taking your time listening to us for a little while. But um, I've known Vipul Kanna for several years now, and uh, I first met him during his, his role uh, leading, I think, Cognizant's operations and business process management area. And since then, he's taken a very exciting role at um, First Source, leading the charge there in the, in the digital uh, marketing technology area. So, uh, uh, but I think I think to start this off, I'd love to maybe hear a bit more about you, Vipol, and maybe a bit more about your background and how you got into this business in the first place. Sure. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Mark. And and Phil, yeah, it's been a pleasure to know your ideas and see how you have developed and how your firm has developed. And, and it's been great to see inspirational to kind of follow your progress as well, right, as we developed our businesses. So I, um, I grew up in a small town in northern part of the country in India. Uh, I was very bad at math and, math and science. So kind of the only option was to go into accounting and business. Um, as I kind of made that transition in high school, I really liked it, the world of business. A uh, couple, um, couple of biographies that I read in my 11th grade, 12th grade, uh, Sam Walton's Made in America, Lee Iacocca's biography, some business magazines, very deeply sort of, they left a mark and I kind of fell in love with, this, uh, love with business. Um, so I, I did my CA, chartered accountancy in, uh, in the small town and for work, one had to move out to a big town. So I came to Delhi uh, way back in early nineties and got a job in Pricewaterhouse. And I will tell you this, um, I literally felt like a small guy standing right at the base of a skyscraper, looking up with your neck arched 180 degrees, looking at the world of corporate business, how social living happens in large cities and stuff like that. Uh, so very exciting times. And then I was kind of stumbled into American Express, which was the first truly uh, shared service organization, which was following a, a follow the sun sort of methodology and opened up a shared service center in Delhi. And I kid you not, it took me two or three months to really sit down and understand their so explain to me how you're doing Japanese bank reconciliation sitting in Delhi or how you're doing Australian credit loss provisioning models for Australia sitting in Delhi, right? Because that was the very early days of sort of the whole offshoring boom. So those were very foundational days of trying to understand the world of offshoring and outsourcing. And then a senior colleague of mine uh, left and he joined a startup which was funded by a US company. And he said, hey, you're gonna come over. Said, yeah, what will I do? He said, yeah, pick your title. So I said, let, let me be the head of transitions and solutions uh, in that startup. And we created a good business, right? We created a good sort of, I think a $200 million business over six years. I remember my first contact center contract uh, was signed 
where the client did not visit India before signing the contract. It's kind of sacrilege sort of <laughs> after that. But setting up the first international call center way back in um, 2000 in, in, um, in Mumbai was an experience. And then kind of grew from there. Uh, UBS came calling to set up their captives and they set it up as an internal service company. That was fun to get deep into banking at that point in time. Uh, but they always had a vision that we wanted to stand on its feet, right? So, so there I was trying to run a captive, competing with the big guys with no resources, right? Uh, you know, we were competing with all the big, big vendors who serve UBS. And I was a little captive kind of competing there, uh, trying to kind of say, hey, there are inherent advantages of using a captive versus a third party, right, at that point in time. Um, but come the financial crisis, the bank took a call on should we be buying or making? And then they put that captive up for partnership. We went through a process and that finally Cognizant bought that captive uh, end of 2009. And I spent the next nine years at Cognizant. Great ride there. First on the operation side in India, then moved to the US, building up a business before First Source came calling in 2019. So here I am. Uh, kind of bringing my learnings with the evolution of BPO into this world. I think I've lost count of the amount of people I know at Cognizant who've become CEOs today. Uh, was there some special formula there or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a very supportive, very growth-oriented no. entrepreneurial environment. Right. And I think that that allowed people to kind of you know, the, the CEO at that time used to say, for every large account, I want a CEO in charge, right? You are the CEO for this account, or you are the CEO for this business. And that ability to kind of chart your course, um, I think that those experiences have helped. Interesting. And then, um, so, so you decided to take this role, um, I think just before the pandemic, right, uh, at First Source, which I think was predominantly a call center, contact center business at the time. Um, what inspired you to take that, that position? Um, what excited you about it? And has it been everything you, you imagined? <laughs> I, I think largely my thesis has worked out. I wanted to kind of personally make the transition from running a division to running a public company. And there's a steep learning curve to that. And it has been a steep learning curve, including all the knocks in the chin on, on how to kind of manage and learn to manage the investors and how to think about the value creation equation, right? In, in the true sense of the word. Um, it's been a very supportive board, um, uh, right? Which, which was very steadfast in what they wanted. The mandate they said was we want a growth CEO, right? Whatever that means, right? Uh, that we want a growth CEO. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's been very supportive from that standpoint on whatever strategy I've laid out, the backing that strategy, backing the investment behind the strategy, backing the kind of people which I need to kind of, you know, uh, implement on that strategy. Um, and it's been, it's been a learning, um, you know, I, I like to call it, we are into our third avatar as first source from, we are a 20 year old company, but we are onto, almost onto our third avatar. And, um, you know, I like to call it, we are like a 20 year old startup now, right? Bunch of guys sit around and, and you know, bunch of folks sit around kind of, decide where we want to go, you know, debate it up, you know, and then get going after that. Uh, but the position that we have in the industries that we operate, um, I think has given a good foundation and good runways for growth that we are now traversing to, to get to a, a meaningful place. Interesting. And then how, how did the, the onset of the pandemic change um, the game plan? Was it significant 
uh, looking back from from what you started out with when that when you went through that whole experience? Yeah, so I joined in August of 2019. I got one or two rounds of travel rounds to to India, UK, Philippines, right, different parts of the US, um, and then sort of everything was shut down in March, right, March of 2020. Um, so the first few months were all like everybody else, trying to keep the ops running, trying to get the remote operations and the massive logistics of getting 25,000 people kitted out and getting started to work right remotely. Um, but I think it's been an evolution on developing that model from an operating standpoint. I think we've all learned along the way of how to engage remote folks, right? How to get security in place and all the, the bells and whistles of getting that stuff going. Business-wise, I think macroeconomics have played different roles on our different, uh, different parts of our business. Uh, so for instance, our hospital business, our provider business in the US on healthcare uh, has been mostly subdued because of pandemic, hospitals have prioritized sort of COVID treatments, right? So the elective and the other treatments haven't gone, which means that the volumes going through the hospitals are lesser at this stage, right? So it's been a dampener, but on the other hand, because of the interest rate environment, the macro environment was good for our mortgage business, uh, right? And that kind of provided some tailwinds to the mortgage business. Uh, so those are the two macro examples. Uh, obviously, like everybody else in our industry, we've seen our clients led by consumers adopting digital. Clients have accelerated their digital timetables, right? And it's manifesting in different ways. Uh, I think that's been a good tailwind and it has also accelerated our own transition, right? What I call as digital first, digital now, it has accelerated our own transition, both internally and externally. It is uh, exacerbated by the, the fact that talent is in short supply everywhere, right? I think I, I joke around that it's easier to sell to a client than sell to client now, uh, to talent now, right? It's harder to get talent than it's than it's to get a client or, or business. Wow. Um, but it has also forced um, partnerships and given everybody's remote, I think tactically partnerships have become more stronger because people have gotten used to working across this, right? It doesn't need a lot of getting together in person to get going. Everybody's kind of gone into the, the mindset of, hey, let's get together quickly on a, on a phone call, on a Zoom call and, and get going, right? So the urgency has forced the partnership ecosystem for us uh, to flourish and get embedded in our solutions. So puts and takes, but overall, I think business has emerged stronger uh, growth paths. Uh, you know, we are we are looking at sort of double-digit growth consistently now, uh, relative to sort of where we were in the past. So how how has the nature of the first source business evolved in the last couple of years in terms of the the service lines that you're looking at, the industries that you're servicing? Yeah. So so for high level, you know, we do about half of our business is banking about 30% is healthcare and about 20% is comms and media. Um, the, the one thing which I've been very clear about uh, is, um, and I've learned it along the way, I, I didn't start it, to be very focused, right? We, we are a smallish company, um, right? So we have to choose our battlegrounds carefully where we go. So within banking, for instance, we play in just mortgage, receivables management, which is collections, and we play in the UK retail and commercial bank, okay? Um, and we think within that, there is still a lot of runway for us to find adjacent areas of growth, 
right? And stay focused to that. So we're trying not to do a lot of things, right? Not to get to capital markets, not to get to asset management, not to get to commercial banking. Stick to sort of where we think we are the leaders or we can get to the leadership position, right? Um, the thing we've added there is the focus on fintechs and DeFi, right? Um, like in the last, I think two quarters, we've signed up like five fintechs now, okay? Um, that world and the, the financing volume is shifting, small volume, but percentage growth is growth, uh, is high for the fintech and the crypto world. And we want to make sure we follow that trend, right? We build capabilities. And that is manifesting not necessarily in well-defined processes, but more like design operations for them and then run it. And then you continue to rinse, repeat and kind of finesse that operations, right? So, so that's on the, the one example of staying focused and finding adjacent to various growth. The second aspect, which um, I mentioned to you is, we have kind of coined the term cheekily called digital first, digital now, right? To bring the urgency in our services, in our offerings, and in our internal ecosystem of technology. And recognizing that our primary heritage is about business knowledge and, and operations, um, big part of our technology footprint is about partnerships with product companies and, and service companies alike, right? So we have already bid out and we won a couple of large engagements where we are not only partnered with a product company, but with an IT services company as well, so that we can compete with the big integrated companies, right? And not disadvantage because we don't have a big IT services arm, right? Again, we have to choose those areas carefully, but I think um, partnerships is the way to go uh, from a technology standpoint. We are also building our own technology, but that's mostly around configuration and putting technology to work to extract the juice out of you know, technology for the sake of our clients' uh, business and stuff. Um, so that's digital. And then the third, if I may, is a little bit more esoteric and abstract is to kind of have that thing about being a purposeful company, right? And to me, purposeful is all about, it. I have to first change myself before I expect even my kids to change, right? Uh, they, even they won't listen to me if I ask them to change. So purpose is all about inside out to say, can we be relevant and purposeful for our employees? Can we give them the right avenue, pay them a decent wage, pay them a competitive wage and benefits? And can we help them find their potential and relate them to the story of what they do? Can they find purpose in what they're doing day to day and see their contribution to that? And it manifests itself in a variety of ways in terms of training, development, et cetera, et cetera, all the good stuff which goes with it. But if we can attract the right people, empower them, they'll get the other right people, we'll have the right reputation in the communities. And we know that clients like it, right? Clients want to work with sort of purposeful companies. Big part of VSG is about people and stuff, right? So most of our clients now see like, what is your ESG strategy? And people becomes a big part of it, right? So, so those are the three things I would say, focus, digital, and being a purposeful company. Right. And um, as you look at, um, you know, moving into a more transformational, uh, what, remit for the business it's interesting to hear that you're working more with fintechs um i imagine that's a very different experience from working with global 2000s where uh, maybe you'll move down the stack a little bit at the operational level do you feel with the fintechs you're more involved in the strategy setting and the transformational pieces as well for sure for sure i mean i think it depends on what stage we catch them like a couple of them are very early stage right like series a and there it's more about you focus in theory, you focus on the product, the compliance and the marketing, 
and we'll bring all the capabilities around operations, including design, including the operational technology stack together for you, testing it out, right? The user experience and devising the operational policies for you and then running it, right? Um, that's a very different level of sort of drawing board sort of experience, um, challenging, but it also allows us to bring the best of the partner ecosystem into play, right? Uh, you know, whether it's the big behemoths like Salesforce, or it could be startups like Salonis and, and Cresta and stuff like that right. uh, in different aspects. Okay, so do you feel that the talent that you're hiring and training, the need is changing from what you maybe were working with two or three years ago as you're trying to sort of move into this transformational space with your clients? 100%, whether it's hiring or retooling what, what we already have. Right, uh, because it, it won't be just all hiring, right? It's new as well as retraining the existing ones. Um, so one big part of my focus since last year is to build almost, let's call it broadly consulting, but it's mostly a design capability, right? Which is working uh, with SMEs, with people who have a good process orientation and people who put technology to work, bringing those three things together, right? Technology, uh, process, and design together to make sure we're devising the processes or designing the transformation. So it's people with more consulting, people with more design orientation who are joining. Uh, the second aspect is, as like all of our peers, it's about making sure our managerial cadre, right? The team leaders, the managers, the frontline, they are very aware of the tools available to them for manage operating operations now, right? It's not just about managing people, but it's all about where can I deploy technology, the most efficient use of technology, and how do I create the culture of con continuous questioning the process and putting things up for automation where I can. So, so training that sort of population of 2000 people, that's a big focus for us on these new tools uh, available in our in our quiver now. Interesting and, and um, convincing clients that a company like First Source can really help in the in the technology enablement space as well as process is that still a huge challenge for you, or do you think clients are becoming more open minded uh, and more willing to work with mid tiers and things like that? I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's definitely not a a walk in the park. Uh, right? There's um, there are. We're not necessarily invited to all big transformation programs, yep. right? Obviously, the, the big guys with, with sort of some of the older relationships and credibility will get there. Um, so part of it is sort of changing the perception to be recognized for that, getting into the accounts, right? Getting into the, um, the, the sort of drawing board of saying, and then kind of slowly working our way up. Uh, but a couple of examples where it's been outright sort of fight in the market from an RFP standpoint, we've been successful. And I think the, the difference there has been how much attention you put into the business knowledge part of it to say, there are three, three components which have to come together. There is the technology, there is the people, and it's the training on the people on how to use that technology. Because ultimately it's the trioka of those three which will produce magic at the end of the tube, right? On their own, they're not gonna organically come together, right? So how, how are people are taking that technology and case by case, function by function, process by process, showing you that the output could go from A to B because I'm putting this lever in play and the details of it. I think that's where we kind of scored, right? To show 
here's how I'm showing across the 10 levers that I had to, to put in place. You know, here's the outcome that I can deliver at a process level, not necessarily at a macro level, right? And I think that credibility of showing familiarity with the business is what has allowed to. And in the back end, then we can source the technology partnerships where required to actually help us implement to that level of, of, of transformation. Um, personally, I was a little bit of a late adopter to RTA, personally, right? I, I didn't believe in it uh, in the 13s, 14s, and the 15, 2015s, or 2016, and I was like, oh, then we'll, we'll figure it out. But that was a hard lesson for me personally, that that was something which is emerging and which has sucked up so much value away, right? Uh, as it is kind of gone mainstream. So that's my personal commitment that every new thing that comes up, I have to be on it to understand and kind of be deploying it. And I do think that RPA process analysis, uh, omni-channel, and now as you get to machine learning deployment, um, these are all hammers looking for nails, right? Everybody has access to these hammers. The trick is who's able to put them in the use to use in the context of a client or their situation and get better output done. I think that will be the differentiator. And that sweet spot of business analysis, configuration skills, right? And doing the grind of implementing, I think is a sweet spot where, where I think we could make a mark and, and hold our own. It's interesting. So are you, are you um, where are you finding this most demand? from your clients uh, at the moment and you know we've come through a crazy couple of years it feels like there's a there's a rush to do things that clients should have done 10 years ago and they're doing them now uh, where are you seeing most demand and immediacy for your business you talk about double digit growth again but uh, where where do you think that's going to come from um there is a you know there is a sector view and there is a sort of a service line view um from a from a sector standpoint, I think, um, as I said, BFS in the areas that we operate, a lot of runway. Um, just take one example, our receivables management business, where we primarily serve the card, card side of the world. We've extended it to autos. We are extending it to other industries uh, like utilities, right? Uh, taking it to that, that form of consumer receivables. We just finished an acquisition of a company called ARSI end of uh, 21, which takes us from, we already do early and late stage, those guys do legal collections, right? So where you get to the next stage where you have to use law firms to be able to enforce obligations which, which uh, borrowers might have. So it kind of gives us a huge amount of adjacency and our intention is to combine the two and take it to fintechs, right? So take fintechs, for example, our thesis is that Fintechs are very good at the front end as far as the lending and the transaction side is concerned. But in their evolution, they haven't reached a stage where they're very good at the back end, which is receivable management. Right? Yeah. So can we go and help them design the right receivable management strategy and define decision points on at what stage of a uh, overdue, what strategy do you use for collections? And then kind of run that strategy for them, whether it's call and collect or whether it's the legal side of it. Right? That's one example. Um, as well, we want to take this to our UK and European market. Today, it's a very North America-centric business. Take it to UK and Europe, right? We have a large set of clients. And with our new offering, as well as a digital avatar of collections, right? Because not call-based now. No, nobody takes a call, right? For, for, for marketing, for service, or for collecting. So it has to be uh, a text-based. It has to be an email-based with the right technology 
responsive technology in the back end to make it like a, a pleasant digital experience. Um, healthcare is, we see a lot of runway in healthcare. Uh, we play on both the provider and payer side of it. Uh, on the payer side of it, um, something as basic as digital intake, which is the stuff getting into a health plan, whether it's claims, authorizations, appeals, et cetera. I'm surprised at how messy that process still is, right, uh, for, for most of the industry. So, so we've retooled our platform and we won like five engagements where we're saying it'll be more digital intake so that it sets your downstream processes more nicely, more, more predictably, right? And, and we see a lot of demand in that. That's kind of the, the basic or the traditional, but done in a new manner. At the same stage, we've seen pandemic accelerate the adoption of telehealth, right? Um, we are working with all of our clients in telehealth, but the evolution there is remote patient monitoring or continuous patient monitoring, right? Where devices keep us connected to our service providers and, and they are doing the hard work of data gathering and, and trend isolation and giving it to the human to say, yep, Vipul needs intervention now, his heart, heart rate is running too high because right. Phil is asking him difficult questions, right? So, so what's going on with, with, the, with, the, uh, with Vipul at this stage? So RPM becomes a big, big thing. And then media has been, has been a strong suit, but as that goes to digital, right, the transition of traditional media to digital is something that we're playing in, right? Whether that's cable going to OTT uh, or streaming, or whether it's publishing going to online, right? That transition of customer experience retention is something that we want to uh, play heavily on through partnerships, you know, bringing new products. Um, and, and overall, today our portfolio is about 40% what we call is digitally empowered contact center, about 45% back office and about 10% pure digital, right? Um, I would expect that this starts to lose its relevance and it starts to become end-to-end -end processes, right? Today we track it and report it that way, but people then look to end-to-end -end sort of journeys and saying, what do I do in this process? Could be back office, could be a multi-channel engagement. Um, uh, so that's, that's kind of a sense of our, our portfolio and where we're going. So you mentioned earlier that um, selling to your own people can be harder sometimes than selling to your clients. Um, do you think that's going to be the crunch point uh, this year as we look out at the industry and the demand is, is who can win the talent wars, going to win the, uh, win the market share? And, and if so, what do you think you're, you're going to do that sets you apart there? Yeah, no, getting good talent is, is, uh, is incredibly hard. Um, I think at the frontline level, um, it's about making sure uh, you pay a competitive wage. You know, that's kind of brass tacks, right? You've got to get all those things done. But I think it's the, it's the training. Um, and, and I think we as humans, our minds have fundamentally changed. We can't sit through long sessions. We can't sit through trainings, go through like endless PowerPoint. So we are completely revamping our training, right? We're making it bite-sized. We're using a lot of videos, we're gamifying it, we're making it a lot of peer learning, right? So more conversational and discussional based, right? And I think if you start with that, and if you start with the right tools, um, we're starting to kind of call it that CX follows EX, right? So are we getting the right employee experience? It's the tools, it's the training, it's how they connect to their purpose, right? What am I doing, right? So in our healthcare business, for instance, we do a lot of uh, patient advocacy, right? Which is for our hospitals, people who come in without insurance coverage, right? 
how do we help hospitals recover revenue in those cases uh, where people do not have insurance coverage? So what we're really doing is we're finding avenues for those patients to find coverage. And I think the, the, the purpose for the employees is that once you find someone to enroll them into a state Medicaid program, then you've come, taken them from no coverage to getting them to coverage, which is for life. Right? You're bringing them to, onto a medical network. So if a patient advocate, our employee kind of gets that vision and relates to that, then they are into it because they're doing something really meaningful to help someone, right? Um, so it, it's kind of that sort of work at the, at the uh, frontline level. At the leadership level, I think good talent attracts good talent, right? Uh, and I find that if I'm able to attract one good leader, they have their own set of followers, which kind of follow. Um, I think where I found particular success in attracting top talent is um, a lot of talent is, is kind of done with sort of the large company experience, right? Um, you know, and attracting them to a smaller, more nimbler, agile organization has been the draw to say, hey, we are at this stage of a revolution. We want to be big. There's an opportunity to be part of that journey. And there's an opportunity for, you know, personal financial wealth creation as well. That's kind of the, the, uh, the draw um, of getting talent on from large companies to come into more smaller, nimbler organizations. So you're spending more time externally focused rather than internally focused, right? Uh, and as you do more, as you win more marquee engagements, more transformational engagements, that in itself makes it more credible that, hey, we'll be doing high quality work, right? Transformational work and size notwithstanding, it gives us more, more leeway to play around. Excellent, well done. I think answered that very well. Yeah. Um, so looking at uh, your, your career, who would you say have been your biggest influences along the way and even today? Um, you know, I somehow, um, I haven't nurtured it, but I'm, I'm generally very curious, right? Um, in fact, I have to temper down my curiosity at times, right? Otherwise I, I get all distributed and dispersed into different areas, right? So I have to be more focused on where I keep my, keep my focus on. So a big part of curiosity is that ability to, or that desire to, to learn from a variety of people and situations, right? Um, so, so it, it's, it's hard for me to answer that because such a melange of things and the melange of incidents, um, of, of people who influence you. And it's not about people who influence you on what they do, but people you learn from and what not to do as well, right? A huge part of my learning has always come from what has made me feel less energetic and embracing that and make sure I don't do that. But no, um, as I mentioned, um, some early business influencers, reading some autobiographies, um, right? couple of my leaders in UBS, very influential on how they thought about selling, right? I learned selling from a leader in uh, UBS and that was internal selling. Uh, Frank and Gordon and uh, Cognizant have been great influencers on how to build businesses. And, and then a lot of my friends, mentors, I've been blessed to have two or three mentors uh, along, my, along my journey, uh, right? Uh, my wife is a big, uh, my wife is a big source of sort of uh, anchoring down, right? Uh, to say like, hey, let's sit down and talk about it, right? What are you excited about? And is it sustainable, for instance? There you go. Well, I hope she's listening. <laughs> All right, so to put you on the spot, I have a, I have a final question, which is, uh, so 
we're going to send you to a nice sunny desert island to see out the rest of this pandemic. Uh, and you're going to have one book to read, one movie to watch, and one piece of music, one song to listen to. What, what would you What would you go for? Oh wow! <laughs> um, oddly, I do find comfort in going back to the familiar at times. So if I have to go back to my uh, to my favorite movie, uh, it would be the movie uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, uh, the Will Smith movie. Right, um, yes. I found it incredibly. I've seen it. I don't know how many times. I could watch it again. Um, the one book to read. Uh, I wish I could say I want to learn machine learning or something, but I think. Uh, <laughs> but I think, um, off late, especially with the pandemic, I've been going more on the on somewhat on the spiritual side. Um, so so I kind of started reading those kind of books, um, a little bit sort of Buddhist philosophy uh, of acceptance and stuff. So, uh, you know, those one of those topics would come out, right? Um, in terms of how to find purpose and how to find sort of fulfillment, right? Uh, that sort of topic, and there are a variety of books there. Uh, music, unfortunately, I grew up only, not fortunately, fortunately, I haven't still found taste for Western music, right? I think I left, I left that stable too late. So I still would go back to Bollywood songs, uh, right? Uh, is what I would kind of uh, go to my any, list there, my playlist. Any, anyone specifically? Um, no, I can't think of one. <laughs> I have a playlist of, playlist of like 800 songs of them, so I, I can pick one or that one. <laughs> Sounds like my wife with a Persian music playlist. <laughs> There's so much of it. Um, good. Well, honestly, I've really, I've really enjoyed uh, listening to this very much, uh, Vipol, um, and uh, look forward to sharing this with our, uh, with our network. And, and a lot of people here have known you, followed you throughout the years as well. Would, would really enjoy hearing, hearing this, and people who maybe don't know you as well. So, I thank you very much for your time. And uh, Mark, maybe. Uh, any final thoughts from you here? Or? I, I just love the, the the last question. I've seen you lob really hard questions at people, and that may be one of the toughest to pick one out of a universe of books and music. That's a that's a tough one, Phil. <laughs> Not sure I could answer it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you on the spot in the next video cast, right? There you go. <laughs> so exactly. We're gonna we're gonna find out one one what do you like, Phil, kind of thing, and then ask him. Yeah, my problem is, is I listen to music when I exercise, so it tends to have to be a little more high up, <laughs> lively. <laughs> lively. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thanks, Phil and Vipple. This was a wonderful discussion, really enlightening, and we hope you all enjoyed it there, out there watching in TV land. To learn more about HFS, head over to hfsresearch.com, where you can view most of our research for free. Plus, we have a growing library of videos just like this one that you can take with you wherever you go. Once again, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next HFS video cast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me this fun. Bye. Cheers. Take care everyone.